What's up, guys? It is Wednesday, July 1st. This week on the podcast, Dr. Yuri Klarman joins me to discuss block route labs and the ether gas limit and what's going on there. As always, be sure to subscribe if you have not already and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain. Enjoy. And we're recording. Awesome. How you doing? Hey. Uh, it's awesome having you on the podcast. Thanks for uh, you know taking the time to come on. Um, so before we kind of get started, tell me a little bit about uh, your backgrounds, uh, how you got interested in blockchain um, and in the space in general, to so we can give the audience an idea of who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'm Uri Uri Klarman. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Blocksroute Labs. We're going to talk about this in a bit. Um, I'm actually, unlike most crypto people, I'm actually a networking person. Like I did my PhD at Northwestern University and I'm like, you know, networking stuff, Wi-Fi, security, TCP, UDP, like protocol stuff. That's, that's even before being a crypto guy, I am a networking guy. Mm -hmm. And during my PhD, me and my then advisor and now co-founder, Professor Kuzmanovich, Professor Alex Kuzmanovich, we, so we had a project which we kind of like, pivoted into doing like networking proof of work because it made sense like for some projects that we did but after doing that we kind of started looking deeper into well the network layer of blockchains and turns out there are no networking people working on blockchains because you know crypto is filled with super great cryptographers but, mm -hmm. but networking people especially like academia networking people nobody's doing blockchain nowadays a bit more but Say, look a few years back, nobody was. And I always think that's because, like, if you write something, if you're a networking person in academia, you write a paper and somebody doesn't like it, well, you mm -hmm. get a bad review from the journal or something. But in mm -hmm. crypto, if you write something, people will trash you on Reddit and on Twitter, and all of a sudden your life is a nightmare. Well, how come you said lightning doesn't work or whatnot? So I get, I can see why people from the network domain didn't enter it. So Anyway, so I kind of like, we started to doing blockchain stuff. And all of a sudden we realized that we know how to solve the scalability problem because it's actually a networking problem. And so if from that point on, you know, deep down the rabbit hole. So I was familiar with crypto, I think since 2013, but I think like most people, mm -hmm. like, okay, I knew off Bitcoin, I knew what it was, I wasn't really like, it sounded sketchy and scammy and it took like, I think I really got deep into it, like in 2016 or so. Mm -hmm. Was it Bitcoin that got you interested or was it Ethereum or the idea of a smart contract or what was it more specifically that really? So be before anything else, it was just, it was just Bitcoin. I love the idea of Bitcoin. Bitcoin makes tons of sense. Mm -hmm. I am very frustrated with the direction it's taking. Um, and again, we'll talk about scale a bit, but mm -hmm. the, all the people who thought we can do more on-chain moved away to doing BCH and everybody who said, oh, no, we don't need to do transaction on-chain. We'll just wait for lightning to come. And that would totally solve all the problems in the universe for sure. Um, so they remained at BTC. And I'm not happy with the direction Bitcoin has taken like in the past, since 2017 or so. But definitely like Bitcoin is super interesting. And it took me a while to move from Bitcoin to, yeah, I knew there are altcoins. Like, hmm. I know Litecoin doesn't make sense to me. It's kind of like, oh, it's like Bitcoin, but like a silver to Bitcoin's gold, that argument never really sat with me. But when I got into understanding what Ethereum is to break down the, you know, the world computer, what does that hmm. even mean? But into, oh, this is how it works. This is a thing. Then, oh, the potential here, the potential of programmable money is immense and so that like i got re like today i am very excited about ETH. it's like the thing i'm most excited about but definitely at the beginning bitcoin was the thing right yeah bitcoin was definitely one of the things that got me interested in the space um in terms of how it could actually grow and how quickly it grew too compared to you know most assets it's technically the best asset best performing asset of the past decade 
um, blowing everything else away. So it's incredible how much it grew and how much potential it still has, despite all the issues <laughs> um, and how many times I, it's been forked and how many times the community is split off. I actually heard something interesting from, I was giving, I was doing a panel or giving a presentation in Boston before mm -hmm. COVID, like I think February or something like that. And there were a lot of non-crypto family offices. It was Token Daily have, have, um, um, have had like this seminar for people outside of crypto to understand crypto. And I think mm -hmm. it was a CEO of Arca who kind of like gave a perspective, you know, think like East Coast, old money perspective kind of thing. We don't really care about blockchain and fast, et cetera. We want like something solid. But they, she, I think she said, or one of her analysts said, but I think it was her, said something which really rang well with me. She, she said like, everybody are talking when our, you know, institutionals are going to be ready to accept Bitcoin. But it really is the other way around. Is Bitcoin ready for them to enter? And the answer is no, like no big institutional entity can step into the market because as soon as it puts a tiny fraction of what it has into it, like everything blows up in terms of like, okay, look, moves all the needles. There's not enough liquidity. It, does, it mm -hmm. doesn't work well enough. So I, that was interesting for me. I like, oh, my thinking was, oh, they're not well aware enough of Bitcoin and why it makes sense as, you know, as a, as a safe, against like like non uh, like deflationary money blah 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 hard money etc mm -hmm. but the idea is that oh they can't enter they have to, they manage trillions of dollars they can't take 10 percent of her of a percent and put it in there it, it, it just doesn't right. work like, like there is no room for them and that's an interesting problem now, i found it to be super interesting yeah, I think for me, the biggest issue I see with Bitcoin is there's a parity issue and there's a trade volume issue. Um, obviously, Bitcoin gets a lot of trade volume, but not compared to, you know, the scale of trade that happens with the dollar every single day or another um, sovereign currency out there. I mean, if Bitcoin had that much volume every single day consistently, um, you know, it wouldn't actually fluctuate up and down as much. Um, you know, the movements would be much smaller. It'd be much more stable. I mean, that's why we see huge swings in Bitcoin, sometimes thousands of dollars a day. Um, mm -hmm. That's one issue with it. Um, and it'll be solved in time. The other is a, this parity issue um, where being able to use a single Bitcoin um, for a transaction is getting difficult because of how expensive it becomes when the network goes up. Um, the price is changing all the time. And, you know, there's a lot of people that think that it it's, would be better if people were spending smaller denominations of a Bitcoin like a Satoshi um, on an everyday basis because it'd be more practical. And for that to happen, you'd need Bitcoin's market cap to be worth like $30 trillion or something like that, um, some some insane amount. And there's, there's a lot of theories out there to, to different ways to utilize Bitcoin. But, you know, as technology, it, it works and it's cool and it's there and it's stable, but it doesn't really function like money. So it's like, it, everyone... it, it, that, and that kind yeah. of like goes back into the point I made earlier, but it, really the Bitcoin, you know, look at the title, like Bitcoin is like a peer to peer electronic cash system. Mm -hmm. This is not electronic cash. I can't send like me giving you a dollar bill cost me zero. Okay. If I want to send it over the internet, like, okay, I'm willing to spend a time, you know, a cent, okay. Mm -hmm. Or a fraction of a cent. If Bitcoin is limited, and I hope the thing the same doesn't happen to Ethereum, mm -hmm. like if you limit its capacity, it stops functioning as money. Like as soon as you have adoption, right. um, pivoting a bit from Bitcoin to Ethereum, um, I like Ethereum. I like Ethereum a lot. I'm very bullish on it. It's super exciting, but people don't estimate how many. Trans, like the volume of transaction you need a blockchain need to support in order to be actually used. People say mass adoption, mass adoption. Forget about mass adoption. Let's talk tiny crypto stuff. Okay, if you have a decentralized exchange, right? You want to do programmable money, no single entity controls it. You have a decentralized exchange that has a thousand traders. Okay, a thousand. Binance has four million traders. Okay, so just a thousand, and each one of them 
doesn't do full-blown algo trading, whatnot, thousand of transactions. Each one does, you know, a bit of arbitrage, one transaction each second versus other decentralized or whatnot. You have a thousand traders doing one TPS, that's a thousand TPS with your tiny, tiny, not important decks. Okay, this is the, that needs a thousand transactions per second. And if they want to do real trading, they do need a lot more than one TPS. You need 200, 300, 400,000 transactions per second if you want to actually, you know, make things useful. And so I think the direction Bitcoin went down, you know, saying, oh, this is just hard money. It's hard to move. It's not really useful. It's deflationary. It's mm. censor, censorship resistance and it's cross-border. But we don't care about, like, it's not programmable money. You can do very little programming with Bitcoin and it makes no sense to use it because it's, it's not money, mm. which is, I, I find it like sad. It should be money. You can get all of that and scalability and you could make it all work, but you have to aim at really high volume of transaction per second, which people misunderstand. They think it's impossible. They think it's super hard. It really isn't that hard or complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's a lot of people want Bitcoin to be money. I mean, there's a lot of projects out there like Lightning Network, for example, that do kind of make it possible. And it's a good solution, but it'll take a long time for that to really become big enough. And I, I, but, I, I strongly, strongly yeah. disagree. Like, like, like people Why say, so? oh, Lightning, Lightning, Lightning solves it as, as really punted answer. Mm -hmm. It works, right? No, it doesn't work. It, like, can I send you money with Lightning? Not no. yet. Well, how can I? Well, you need to run a node and I need to run a node. And so we'll have, make a channel. So if I want to give you money, first of all, I have to have a channel with you to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to have, we're going to say, and I'll put $5 and you'll put $5. And so there's be like a channel between us and you have a channel with somebody else. And I will pay him by I pay you and you pay him. The, and the complexity around it, the number of things that break and don't really work. Pe people think it's just a matter of time of getting it. It isn't. There's, there are like inherent things. Some things are completely unsolved. Like if I want to pay random person X, I even don't know which channels lead me to them. There is no networking. Like, oh, of course I know the path to him. There is no... Mm -hmm it's an unsolved problem. Like nobody ever solved, how do you actually reach them? Nobody even really tried and say like, oh, here's a solution that works. No solution to that. Um, if I already gave you $5, if we have a channel of $5 and $5, I can't pay extra. I have to open another channel. Everything is prepaid. So if I want to get a, you know, my salary from my company or something like that, then I need to have a channel. I have to put all the money that I will ever earn from the company ahead of that so they could pass it to me or something like, like mm -hmm. saying lightning works is a way, way over simplification of, of, of the entire thing. Lightning isn't there. It's like, you can't just pay people with lightning. So yeah. sorry. I just like had to no, stop. No, at that point. No, it's okay. I, I think that there are some potential use cases for lightning. Like let's say Bitcoin became like a, people accept it as an asset, but not as money. And Bitcoin becomes worth some ridiculous amount of money. And we're all spending Satoshis on a daily basis, which actually might solve some of the issues. Um, instead of spending an entire Bitcoin on a purchase, you're spending a very small fraction. Um, but you, you could potentially leverage the Lightning Network to pay a retailer or a vendor or something in Bitcoin if those channels are set up properly. There, there could be some solutions for that in the future. But in my personal opinion, I don't think that's the direction of Bitcoin. I think it just becomes this digital asset, this digital version of gold for the internet. Um, and it's just going to exist and people are just going to have the ability to invest or not invest. I don't think it's going to serve the purpose of money. There's other projects that are much better than that. So I think, but there's something which is kind of like in common to all layer two solution. And that's true for... It, it's true for lightning. It's true for, you know, optimistic rollups or any rollups or pr pretty much all the idea of like, we'll pay off chain and submit it on chain. They all have a very 
similar mechanism, right? The idea is that like, okay, we'll make transaction, right? I've, whether we have a channel or using some other mechanism or something like that. And when the need comes, I can, oh, we, we can submit it and, you know, settle the situation to everybody's have like, like, like satisfaction. Mm-hmm. But the security thing around it, like how, what if I, what if you send me, I don't know, one ETH using some layer two solution mm-hmm. and then I'm offline and you're going to take that and submit like an older state before you sent me that. Okay. So you, you, you put something uh, like you submit a, an older state or something like that. And so the people call if you do that, you can either, I would submit the right like state or somebody, I'll pay somebody at like a watchtower or something like, to submit that. But really it means that if a big entity is compromised and they try to defraud all their users all at the same time, not because they're evil, maybe because they're evil, maybe they're a scam, maybe they just got hacked. Mm-hmm. Every, now you have everybody who needs to submit their fraud proof or truth proof, truth proofs. But that means that for, for that to work, you need to have the capacity in layer one to begin with. Think on what happened to, was it compound? Yeah, mm-hmm. compounding, you know, Black Thursday. Right? The idea was, oh, we have li- liquidators, right? If an asset goes down, everybody can bid on it. And so they would bid up one another and you have a mechanism to make sure that an asset is being liquidated and get a fairly decent price on that. However, Black Thursday, everything goes mad. Layer one is completely congested and people can't make bids. So you have this one smart person who paid really, really high gas and bought four and a half million dollars worth of ETH for, I think, practically nothing. He just like, oh, I'll just take it for free. And he got that, right? He got that because all the others couldn't participate. The blockchain was too congested. You have exactly the same problem with layer two solutions. They only work if... In the worst case scenario, everybody can move to layer one when the need arises. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you know, for the security to be preserved. But if everybody can work on layer one in case of an emergency, why would everybody just work on layer one to begin with? Now, don't get me wrong. Layer two has value. Lightning has value. Um, um, whether it's Starkware solution and other, like you get UX benefits, like Uniswaps, whatever. You get benefits to you can do other things but not strictly scalability because if you just scale on layer two that means or let's say differently you have to scale layer one as well layer one must scale for layer two to work otherwise layer two is also broken does that kind of make sense yeah that does make sense so is there a similar issue there with ethereum um with like you know what's going on with these gas prices and the fact that it gets expensive and slows down is that a layer one issue? So, A, yes, it's a definitely a layer one issue, but we're actually making great progress in Ethereum layer one, and we're actually working on layer zero, just like the networking layer below mm-hmm. that. Um, what's happening right now with the gas fee, like the, there are two things. You have the fees, like the gas prices that people are paying, mm-hmm. and you have the gas limit. Gas limit in a block is similar to, you know, in Bitcoin, the block size, like how many in Bitcoin, how many bytes can enter in Ethereum, how many instructions, how many gas can be used within a block. Mm-hmm. And after two years of stagnation, that the gas limit was stuck between 2017 and September 2019, that the gas was stuck at 8 million gas. Um, we actually, so we at Blockstart had been working with pools and miners to solve the scalability problem. We can discuss that in a bit, but generally miners get to choose how many, like in Bitcoin, the block size is is limited to one megabyte. So it's kind of like, it's stuck at that. In Ethereum, miners actually vote, do we want to increase or decrease the capacity? Now it sounds silly, like why, let's just increase it. Let's have more room for everybody. Voila, problem solved, that's Mm. easy. But turns out that as they increase the capacity, blocks become bigger. When blocks become bigger, if I am a miner or a pool and I created a new block, I need to send it to everybody else. However, the bigger the block, 
the longer it takes to propagate. And so if I am a miner and I created a block and it's 10 times bigger, it takes 10 times longer to propagate. Now there is a 10 times larger opportunity that's like another miner on the other side of the world. He's honest and everything, but he still didn't hear about my block. So as my block propagate throughout the world, he's still hashing and voila, he also found a block. So now you have a fork in the blockchain, okay? Which will be resolved when the next block is mine. That's okay. But if you increase the gas, the gas limit, you make block bigger, they propagate slower, and you increase the chances of forks happen and the uncle rate of, um, of pools and miners. So the reason that pools and miners don't just increase it, oh, they just have 10x more room for everybody and problem solved, is that they are risking the reward. If I make the block bigger, I might not be rewarded. It might get orphans or I'll get a smaller reward. It will be an uncle. Mm -hmm. So miners and pools play this game where they're like, they're increasing it as long as it doesn't increase their anchor rate too much. Okay, so this is like currently, you'll see anchor rate at around 3%, 4%, 5%, depending on the pool and the miner um, and how that kind of where things are. We started working, so we at Blockstart, actually, this is what we do. We handle a lot of that. We, we built a, this provably neutral system that we send transactions to everybody, so everybody remains in sync. And that allows miners, when they propagate blocks, to compress them and propagate them faster. So the idea is that you can do much larger blocks, 10x more, 100x more, 1,000x more is like not outside, like is within possibility. Mm -hmm. um, and you could do that and not increase the uncle rate. And so in the past nine months, miners had increased it twice since starting working with us um, from eight to 10 million and from 10 to 12 million gas. So that's a decent increase that we have made in the past nine months from eight to 12 million. Mm -hmm. That's like six, that's four out of eight. No, so that's 50% increase, right? Um, however, we aim much higher than that. But another thing that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, like, it makes well, sense. What's going on there? However, even though we increased the gas capacity, the demand of Ethereum is so high, that kind of like, like, don't increase it by like 2 million gas. Why can't we increase it by like 5 million gas? 10, can we make double? Can we make 5x more? Can we do more than that? Where, where's the limit? And we're actually working with the pools and the miners trying to persuade them, try to do more. Like right now they increase it and the anchor rate didn't go up. Mm. Things are working nicely. So we hope to continue to get, to continue with that progress. But even though they increase the gas capacity, still there's not room for everybody. So everybody try to outbid one another. So unfortunately fees are still high at this point. Right. Is, is that something that's also part of what slows down Ethereum and kind of creates this network bottleneck effect? So it, short answer is yes, right? The, 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 all the blockchains, mm -hmm. proof of work, proof of, this is also true, by the way, for proof of stake and ETH 2.0, doesn't matter, okay? Mm -hmm. Any blockchain has this idea that somebody, miner, validator, whatnot, committee, federation, whatever, somebody creates a block, that block needs to get to everybody else, so somebody else could add the next block. Right? You can't add the next block before you heard the previous one. And if you make the blocks 10 times bigger, whatever you do, they propagate 10 times slower. And so you have to reduce the rate by your factor of 10. You're kind of like stuck at the same point, mm -hmm. doing 10x larger blocks, 10 times less frequently. And so it's a, this is a bottleneck that needs to be solved for Ethereum, unlike Bitcoin, which again, I, I find it very frustrating. Bitcoin said, we don't care about that. We don't want Bitcoin to be money. We don't want it to be useful. It's not to transact. It's the backbone of money or something like that. Even though you can have both, we're not increasing the, the, like, the capacity. Ethereum pools and miners are way more open to try. Let's see. Let's not think that we know the answer before we did it. They increase the capacity. Oh, seems to be working. We had that nine months ago. Oh, we increased again. Things continue to increase. Like things work, but it's going, I think, to be an ongoing process. And the Ethereum community is going to be very involved in that saying like, do we, do we want to try to do more? Or are we happy, and I guess nobody is, but are we happy with the current state of things with the higher fees, et cetera?
Mm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, pivoting from that a little bit to block route labs, what, what do you guys do there primarily or what's your mission? So our mission is really scaling our blockchains, right? We are the networking people who solve scalability. This is what we do. So mm -hmm. we build this system. Like the idea behind our technology is actually quite simple. The problem that needs solving is that blocks take too long to propagate. And side note for a second, mm -hmm. we argued that it's the only bottleneck. And eventually we actually proved it. We took the Bitcoin code, which is like the simplest blockchain, nothing fancy, take it as is. We deployed a Bitcoin network of our own with 300 nodes plus 30 different miners. And we tried to use blocks or technology to propagate blocks. And we tried to see, can we scale that network? If we just use that, does that allow to do larger blocks and more frequently? So we took that network and we were able to make it process 100 megabyte blocks every minute. So not only do we increase the block size by a factor of 10, we reduce the time by a factor, of, sorry, the blocks that we increase by a factor of 100, we reduce the time by a factor of 10. And we were able to process 3,000 transactions per second at peak. This is like, that was a great step for us. But more important, it is to show that there is no other bottleneck. It's not the CPU power of your computer. Your personal computer at home can easily process 3,000 transactions per second. And if you have Intel's i9, you can do 20,000 transactions per second, okay? That isn't it. It's not about storage because you don't need to store all the blocks since Genesis if you're that constrained. You just need the state in the last five or 10 or 100 blocks or so. Anyway, so we show that the only bottleneck is how long it takes for blocks to propagate. Mm -hmm. And so we're called blocks route because we route blocks. Our technology, what we do really is we have this system, the BDN, the Blockchain Distribution Network, which allows nodes to remain in sync. As transactions happen, you send a transaction, they just like think of it as like waves going in the network. And the transactions you know aren't the transactions that I know. And even if our nodes are connected and you tell me if your transactions, by the time I hear of your transactions, you already know other transactions. Mm -hmm. And so what we do, is we synchronize it and say, oh, here are new transactions, here are new transactions, here are new transactions every few hundreds of milliseconds. And that allows when a miner mines a block and it includes transactions that blocks are propagated, mm -hmm. then if I am the miner and I send it to you, I don't actually have to send you the entire block. I can just say, oh, I have a block and it has transaction one, five, 17, 105, 47. And if you know exactly the same transaction, you know what I mean. So on the wire, I don't actually have, even if the block is very, very big, I just have to tell you which transaction are there, not send you the actual transaction. So this is a relatively simple trick, right? This isn't like lightning channels, plasma, roll-up, ZK. This is like simple. We mm -hmm. keep everybody in sync. We help the synchronization. And now we can do larger blocks. It's that simple. So that's what we do. We focus strongly on Ethereum because honestly, Ethereum feels the pain of the scalability problem more than any else. All the other, there are two blockchains that feel the pain. You see, and nobody else has such capacity and don't have enough capacity. BTC decided we're not doing it. We're keeping it that. Everybody who believed in large blocks moved to BCH. Bitcoin Cash, really like the people, super nice, very friendly with a lot of them. Their problem is different. Like they also have that problem, but at this point, they're trying to get traction. They get people to use them. I don't know, with read.cash and all sorts of stuff. But, so they're focusing on getting demand. That really leaves Ethereum. Ethereum is the only one that loses traction to other projects just because it's so costly to transact on chain mm -hmm. and it's so costly because everybody tried to use it and outbid one another and so our mission is really scaling all blockchains we're focusing strongly on ETH. we're getting again we got 50 percent improved that's great um but that's percentile right we're aiming at like large multipliers like we know we ran an ethereum network and we're able to process a few hundreds of transactions per second so we know we can do more. We actually tested it. We tried it. It worked. So mm -hmm. now it's about 
getting more of the miners and more of the pools to vote to increase the gas limit. Um, we have something like 70% of Ethereum hash power using us on mainnet. So they're using our technology. It's already being used in the wild. Right now, Ethereum blocks are propagating using blocks at 100 milliseconds all around the world. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's becoming a political thing. Like, okay, do we increase it and by how much? And now you have all the people, oh no, you shouldn't, this is dangerous. And it would have been dangerous if the uncle rate went up, but it didn't went up, so we're safe, so we can continue to. So it's now getting the community to understand the value and the possibility of increasing the capacity. Gotcha. That was a really long answer. That was a really long answer. Oh, no, that's, that's okay, it was fascinating. Does, so the, the dynamics of that change as Ethereum moves into the Ethereum 2.0 and into staking, like does that change how um, what you guys do for Ethereum? So POS doesn't change it, sharding does. Okay, so POS or P, in POW, well, you need the block to propagate faster everybody else before mm -hmm. somebody else, or if you don't, you'll have forks. In POS, it's cleaner. The idea is that I created the block, I need two thirds of the people to sign it. If it takes me 10 times longer to get them to sign it, then the time between this block and the next block increased by a factor of 10. So it's very like you make the block bigger, it propagates slower, you, you can't move to doing the next one. So we just remove the ugliness of having forks in the blockchain. Mm -hmm. But it's exactly the same principle. The idea is that you can't scale it unless you improve the time it takes for blocks to propagate. Sharding, so for ETH 2.0, it works great. So rather than work with miners and pools, we work with validators. Exactly the same idea. We offer for free the technology that allows them to propagate blocks among one another and voila, scalability. Mm -hmm. Sharding is different because sharding is, think about it as like the sharded blockchain, just like each shard is a small blockchain and they kind of like interleave in a way that preserves security. Well, in that case, we scale each shard by its own. So if we can do 100 shards and we scale each one by a factor of 100, great. So now you have a 10,000x improvement, right? Because each shard is doing 100x more and you have 100 shards. So sharding plays really nicely with the block route, but we don't, we can like scale each shard by itself rather than the entire system Mm -hmm. like as the single unit. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. I, I've talked about sharding with a few other people, um, especially Kadena had him on the podcast twice. Mm. Really interesting concept. Do you think that Ethereum is actually going to get there where they're going to implement sharding or is it still kind of on the table? That is a really good question. Um, and I have some I have different perspectives from different people. The idea is that if doing sharding and doing like a, a lot of the things, like moving to POW, like the entire thing, mm -hmm. this isn't a small change. This isn't just like, oh, let's just change. This is like, oh, we're doing redoing the entire thing. It's like, uh, um, like change everything mega gambits. That's like, oh, we're going to redo the entire thing end to end. And that's super hard. So people are making progress on that. So it's, the question is not, unlike Lightning, which I think is broken by design, um, sharding is like, it works, but it's just very, very hard and very, very complex. And you run into a lot of issues. So the, it's a more a question of timing. I really, so that's true. And, and you also, so it's not just sharding. You have like the entire ETH 2.0, everything around it's changed. These are just major changes and it's like, a major new design, which is going to have some, you know, um, weaknesses and, and all sorts of stuff. Like at the beginning, it's going to take time to mature, et cetera. And at the same time, you have like ETH 1.X or ETH 1.0 that grad, like does like gradual improvement. We have a working system. Now let's change how the way we do the, like the feed, right? Now you have ETH, 1559, which I really like, which is the idea of instead of just putting a high fee and everybody competing with one another, you have a base fee that everybody pays the same. So if the blockchain gets congested, everybody have to pay the same amount more, and then people would stop using blah, 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 blah. Long story short, it makes it a lot more efficient and you can 
easily guess like what's going to be your fee instead of like just sending a transaction and praying. So this iterative process is a, not, I wouldn't say it's a lot better, but like oftentimes it will take you much further, much faster. Right? You, you start with a thing. If you're familiar with like agile development, like you start with the basic, then you iterate, then you iterate, then you iterate, then you iterate. So will ETH 2.0 ship at some point? I think so. I just wouldn't put my money on when will it ship. And the question is, from my perspective, I am way more bullish on ETH 1.x and like that's where I invest my time and effort. Like ETH 2.0 is great, like go for it. But it's going to be very, very hard and there are numerous things that needs to be solving and just just difficult. Mm -hmm. Does that kind of like, like yeah. do you feel the same way? Or yeah, it does. Like, I what, do what's your perspective on it? I do feel the same way. I, the thing about Ethereum 2.0 is they've been saying it was going to come out for a long time and it keeps getting delayed. And, you know, despite Ethereum having like a monopoly on the DAP market right now and still being the cool place to go to, to build, there's some serious competition creeping up for Ethereum. And while competition is great generally um, in an early market like this, I could, in my opinion, I think it's something that could really hurt Ethereum if another blockchain can you know successfully attract more projects to build on them um, you know and solve these issues before ethereum does and part of the problem of having such a big community with ethereum is a lot less actually gets done and there's a lot less consensus and it's funny because blockchain is all about consensus <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think you're right I th like ethereum definitely has the network effect which doesn't come just because it's a cool place to go just the amount of tooling okay the idea is that if i want to build something do i have to reinvent the wheel sucks i don't in that case i don't want to do this idea now, if i have to reinvent how do i write code and how do i deploy it and how do i up everything in ethereum you have really strong tools that do exactly that which most other you know the ethereum kills etc i'm not like I don't think, yeah, they're super interesting, but if something is super cool and great, it could be adopted into Ethereum. So it's kind of like, like go, for, go for it. I'm not super worried about that. I think that in, the problem is the high fees. Like if I am a project and everything to do in Ethereum is super costly and it's pro prohibitively costly, I just, I can't do it. Like if I want to do something, it just becomes so expensive that it's not worth doing. Mm. Then I'll use, I don't know, Pick an Ethereum killer and like that. And this is where I feel Ethereum, I'm afraid of, I'm not afraid of Ethereum losing momentum, you know, kind of like losing, but it's losing momentum and, and, and it's a shame. I, it's a shame because I know we can do better. Okay, we, we, we just move. If I told you nine months ago that we can just increase the capacity by 50% and everything continue to work, you'd be like, is it really true? Is it just talking? Like it might not work. Okay, it took us nine months. We increased it, like miners finally increased it by 50%. And voila, everything continued to work as is. And I'm telling you right now that Ethereum can handle hundreds of transactions per second right now. It's not limited there. We can do more, but more than that, well, some of the code in Ethereum isn't super optimized. There are some stuff that were like, okay, at 10 transactions per second, but they have to be rewritten in a better way to do thousands of transactions per second. But I really would like miners and pools to continue increasing the capacity because it works. Like we have like to be very kind of like, I, I, I want to be the most like honest and straight person like on the planet. There are three risks here that we should monitor. The uncle rate, which I described earlier, blocked at bigger property. That's the one thing that is immediate. There is a second thing, which is about like, what about the state size, right? It's kind of like this, how many smart contracts holding how much information. If we increase that, does that mean that increases the state size and that's an issue? So people are working on that, but there is an immediate solution for that. You could say everything that increases the state now costs five times more gas, okay? If you just want to send transaction to somebody, fine, same cost. You know what, let's cut that in half. Let's make sending regular transaction cost half the gas, not 25,000 gas, that's cost 10,000. So you could do even more 
you can make sure the state size doesn't grow while still increasing the capacity of Ethereum. And the third piece, what was the third piece? Like how long it takes to download the entire Ethereum and validate the entire Ethereum blockchain. But I just saw recently how, you know, the latest Raspberry Pi takes like two days and get it all done utilizing its software and whatnot. And like, really? Like, do we really want to limit the capacity of Ethereum and what we can do in order for people to be able to run their own node on a machine that costs $50? Like, it's kind of, I'm not sure that's the metric we should be aiming at. Right. So anyway, so I'm, I'm, I would very much like to see Ethereum continue to increase its capacity. I think we have seen we can do it. Why aren't we continuing doing that in like, Okay, let's say that every three months we try to increase it a bit and then measure and see if everything works nicely or not, or should we stop? Mm -hmm. That's kind of like my, my take on it. Yeah, I, I think where Ethereum is going to run into an issue if they don't start solving this soon is if let's say there's a, a company that's very well known like Microsoft that wants to build some economic um, world changing app on ethereum um whatever it is which is the case right microsoft want to be the the, the decentralized entity thing on ethereum right that's the reality yeah. that's not an if yeah of course they do a lot of companies do um and they're all kind of competing and waiting for the right opportunity but you know let's say they build this amazing app on ethereum you know they can't afford to have days where um, you know, their app is now not working very well or is slower or more expensive to operate because CryptoKitties had a good day. And <laughs> now the, the and, and now you have this huge company with this all this money they put into this app that can't perform consistently because this decentralized kitties game is, is bottlenecking the blockchain. Um so there's a lot of issues they got to solve. And if there's another blockchain that can do that, if EOS can do that, if Cardano can do that, if something else can do that down the line, I think Ethereum, you know, loses uh, a lot of credibility as a blockchain project. I, I, I think I, like a year ago, more than a year, like I think it was March 2019, like I, I was speaking with Vitalik on this and we were talking about how like for I, I'm I'm somewhat of a blunt guy. So I told him like, listen, like Ethereum is trying to be like the best citizen out there. They're not just here. We're going to do this. We're going to be great. Okay, so everybody else, because it's expensive. And so in the meanwhile, everybody who's trying to deploy something goes to the other blockchains, which aren't that great. And they're not really decentralized. And a lot of, they have all sorts of issues, but they're cheap. So while Ethereum goes here, everybody else goes there, and that's momentum lost. And it's a shame, okay? Like, like we, can, we can get it all working for Ethereum. And again, kudos to all the um, blocks that work for any blockchain out there. I am very, like, like, if you can provide and create value which brings value to real people, I am all for it. But Ethereum is really such a hub of so much innovation, so much, it has such a great momentum. It's a shame to see it losing it, Mm -hmm. for not increasing the gas further if we can like as long as it's safe we should continue to increase it but we should why did it take nine months to increase from 10 to 12 we could have done it if it's safe now it was also safe six months ago mm -hmm. why didn't we okay so like can we continue to increase it as long as it's safe and we can see whether it's safe or not because we'll see more forks and forks sorry more forks and uncles happening so mm -hmm. we can really easily monitor that Miners and pools have the incentive to make sure they don't have too many uncles. So I think the Ethereum community should look deeper into understanding its own power. Like you have the ability to do more. Why don't we? Yeah, I, I would agree there. I, I think that they're not leveraging the situation very well. And I think there's a lot of things they could do better. And for me, it's just as an outsider, seeing that lack of consensus you know, in an industry that's built on consensus, it's almost funny and sad in some ways um, to disagree this much and not get enough done. Um, we'll see what happens. It's, uh, this industry is very unpredictable and interesting and things move so very quickly. I, I don't feel the same in which part? lack of consensus in Ethereum right now. Like mm -hmm. I, feel, I feel a few things are 
and it's hard to get done in a distributor like it's hard to get stuff done you have like nine different teams working on their own implementation and everybody eventually use like the guest node so it's kind of like all the burden is like five people need to save the world every single time and the rights to complain about it mm-hmm. so it's kind of like why are you expecting us to do all the work always all the time every time you want something well fair fair point when funding should be sent that way to hire more people etc cetera, etc cetera. but I feel a lot of the people do agree that, oh, we can do more. Like, I don't feel strong disagreement, like, you know, the small blockers, big blockers in between. It's not to those levels at all. I think some people think, oh, this should be money. And some people say, oh, this isn't money. And it's, okay, there is some disagreement, but I don't find it to be like super fundamental. But maybe I'm experiencing it differently than you. I think each of us has like his own, a bit of like crypto bubble, like the people he's interacting with and the people he knows. And it's sometimes like you don't know what's happening outside of it, I guess. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm not a developer and I don't really build anything on Ethereum. But, you know, just from my perspective, which is interesting because I try and help educate people or let people, you know, come onto the podcast and share their opinions and kind of just get it to people, distribute it to people, you know, and, and kind of learn as I go to um, have cool conversations like this. And, you know, from my perspective, it's, you know, Ethereum's known about these issues uh, for quite a while. Um, and there's a lot of people in the community, a lot of smart people, and they have all these ideas and it's taking such a long time to implement, you know, just one of them. Um, and it just, so, it just feels like they could be doing it better. Not saying that they don't come to consensus on anything, but it just feels like compared I, to something more tight knit, um, like, like IOHK, for example, or having just a smaller community base. Um, you know, I feel like they're just not moving like they should, but maybe that's just the downside of being decentralized. Um, I don't know. It, th- th- there, there's definitely truth to that. I, and there's something to be said that about the decentralization. But from my perspective, mm-hmm. and again, this is me, the networking guy. So from coming like networking guy and scalability guy and looking like this is what I do for a living for quite a few years now. And so a lot, th- think of all the things that people came up with. Oh, what if we do Plasma? And what if we do Raiden? And what if we do... ZK rollups. Oh, we don't really need ZK. Let's just do rollups. And now this guy, like all of that is, these are very sophisticated ideas. Oh, we'll have a system that does this and does that and all, all these kind of things. And those, a lot of the times, end up not working. With reference back to the like lightning, more complicated than those two. So it's kind of like getting that to actually work is just very, very, very difficult. If I, and, the, and, and the pitfalls, you might not be aware of them. Like everything makes sense. They're like, oh, hold on. We have this situation where everything is broken and we didn't realize that we have an issue here. This is why I like ETH 1.0 versus ETH 2.0. The idea is like, oh, we have something. We're going to make a small change to make it slightly better. And when that works, we're going to make another. We're not going to change the entire thing because it ends up being a lot of time, oh, we're going to try, invest money, invest time, invest effort. And then like a year later, okay, that didn't work out the way we expected. We're going to try something else. And, and that's okay also, but you should also have this like short loop trying like, okay, take one thing, like, like 1559, which is a proposal that gets like great adoption and people really like it and it makes tons of sense. Like, okay, let's do that. Um, let's not say, oh, if we do that, we should also do escalator fees and we should also do envelope transactions from a few technical things, but it's kind of like saying, oh, maybe have a few different types of transactions. And so like one of them would be this, let's change all the way we handle transactions. And one of them is this, and this would allow making implementing this easier. Yeah, but now you just change everything and now you're going to have complexities and you don't know how it's going to end up. Do very small things, make them work, and then move to do another small thing, like the iterative thing, people underestimate how important that is. This is why, from my perspective, what we do, mm. like, oh, we, we make the network faster. Okay, we're, we're not even blockchain people, really. We're networking people. We have stuff going around faster. We compress them, like, when we send it on the wire so it goes faster. Mm. And honestly, you have no idea, the same way that you have no idea whether AT&T is using 
copper wires or optic fibers, right? You can't, it just, who cares? It just like, it just works. So the same way, we're trying to do something very, very simple because when you try to do complex things, they break and it's super frustrating. Like I get what, I really can relate to what you're saying. It's like, why aren't we moving? It seems like everybody else are moving forward and we're not moving as fast. And some of it is because everybody else are making false promises. That's some of it. And kind of like, it's very easy to say, oh, we can do all the things in the world without actually doing them. It also has to do with Ethereum trying to be the best citizen and do things on the best side. Mm -hmm. But definitely there is a tendency to try to make things complex and cool rather than the small iterative process. And that's my engineering perspective on it. I don't know if you think the same or, or differently. I don't disagree. I, I think it's just a perspective type thing from having two different backgrounds and how you look at it. Like I, I did very well investing in Ethereum years ago um, and got in very early. And I've been a part of a lot of different communities and still am on Ethereum. And it's, uh, I'm definitely rooting for it to achieve all its goals, but it's frustrating when you're rooting for it and you know, it's not, not progressing as much as you want it. It's like having a favorite sports team and, you know, being a loyal fan, but being. We're, we're from loyal. Chicago. Okay. This is like the home of the Cubs. Okay. This, yeah. What we do is rooting for losing. This is a century of, of, you know, tradition is to right. do that. So I know exactly what you mean. Um, but yeah, I can get that. And it's mm -hmm. funny cause you say all that and I'm kind of like, well, you know, I have a PhD in computer science. That doesn't, that makes, I am a terrible trader and I did not invest in the right things and the right and all these kind of things. It's kind of like the fact they have one expertise does not make me like expert on other things as well. So like, I do think all sorts of people perspective should be weighted in while at the same time, being able to make rapid changes, like getting stuff done is super important. Not just, you know, debating stuff on Twitter isn't productive. One might argue it's counterproductive. Yeah, I mean, the only good thing about debating it on Twitter is you can have those debates a little bit more publicly and people can see what you're thinking and saying. But I mean, no, it's not very productive. Um, you know, with the space and when it comes to building like the ideal blockchain, I mean, there's, you know, developers that work on building the best functionality for it possible. You have people that are um, consider themselves economists. They're looking at it from a monetary perspective. Does it make sense in terms of value and how it's going to grow? Um, there's a usability side, you know, as a business um, or as a company, you want to see how it, you know, can perform under pressure um, in different scenarios. Um, maybe if you're a government, you're looking at how it can perform in different situations. So, so many different perspectives that go into it. So, and nobody's from all those backgrounds. So no one is uh, the, the perfect expert in crypto. Um, so they all have different viewpoints on, you know, how something should work and where it should go. So that, that's also- But, but I, I, I think a lot of the times, the cool thing is that most of these things you can just do in a permissioned way, build whatever cool thing you want to do, just utilize it. As long as it doesn't need anything changed to the protocol, the cool thing is that it's permissionless. Anybody can use it for whatever the hell they want and all sorts of cool stuff that I could never come up with or being used. Like, I like Uniswap mostly because, and I'm not a trader, so DeFi, like I like DeFi a lot. And mm -hmm. Deep into that because it's related to what we do and the stuff that we provide. But so it's kind of like, there's a kit and its own space of everything kind of like weights it like the right way. Oh, this is cool. Like I appreciate somebody being able to go and build this thing without having to ask permission from anybody. Oh, I have this cool idea. I can do that. And that could be on any background. If it's a, like, you know, it's, if it's voxel or is it like NFTs or if it's like DeFi or if it's anything else. When it comes into making the blockchain itself, I think that there is a tendency of leaning towards cryptographers. Like this is like crypto, right? Like, 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 like cypherpunk is the root of this movement and it's filled with super great cryptographers. The problem is that when you have a hammer, every problem is a nail. So every time there is a problem, we should solve it with better cryptography. And it's kind of like, no, no, dude, this is a networking problem. We, here's, here's a simple solution that solved it instead of, you know, the cryptographer solution is something like lightning. Oh, I'll have like, I'll open a channel with you and we'll only do that. And it's trustless. 
and you have intermediaries and whatnot. Why would you do all of that if you can just make the internet faster in a simple, like, and voila, done. It's already working, deployed in the wild compared to like, oh, it took us forever, 18 months more. So right. I think when it goes into this, as long as it's not the design of the chain, I think things are okay. I think if we had the scalability and the fees weren't that high, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't feel the way that you do right now in terms of like, why are we moving so mm -hmm. slowly? This is something that, this is the pain, which I feel, this is the thing that Ethereum feels and nobody else feels it, okay? Because it, like, we're losing something here. We're losing momentum. We, we could do more and now we're stuck on these things and how come it isn't solved by now? So mm -hmm. the least I can say is that, like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm working hard on solving exactly that and we're making progress on that, but I can completely relate to, to that. So everybody can do their own permissionless, permissionless thing on the different backgrounds and the different domains that they work on. Does that kind of make, like, does yeah, that make sense? That does make sense. That's how I see it. That's interesting viewpoint. Um, I have to get going in, a, in just a few minutes, but um, one, one last question to wrap it up. Um, I mean, regarding smart contracts and blockchains, do you think that there will be one to rule them all in the end? Or do you think that there will be a diversity of blockchains that all, you know, kind of share so, a market and compete with each other? So I am, I had a change of thought in that in the past, let's mm -hmm. say 18 months or something like that. I always thought there were going to be multiple blockchains because blockchain or crypto has multiple value propositions, right? You have hard money, deflationary money, uns like uncensorable cross-border kind of thing, which Bitcoin really tried to capture. But Ethereum offers programmable money in a way that Bitcoin can't offer. So you have this idea where it's kind of, oh, here's another value proposition which can't be captured by the first one. And what about fast, cheap, reliable, like reliable transactions? Like is that Bitcoin Cash? Or maybe ETH, maybe ETH can, solve, can, can, can do that as well. Well, what about anonymous transactions? Okay, can, I used to think, well, Zcash, Monero, whatnot kind of thing, like one of them would capture and you'll have like, I don't know, five, seven different blockchains that kind of like capture the different value proposition, each one slightly different than the other. However, working in the real world for a while now, I realized that regionality actually plays a giant part, okay? If you have Ethereum, and you have all this thing working for it, but it's very focused, it's very English focused, okay? So I am very, very certain we're going to see blockchains coming out from China and the far, China, Japan, Korea, Far East in general. And they're going to be, they're going to offer similar value proposition, but they have different communities. Their materials are different. Their style is different. They're just not part of the current Ethereum community, giving Ethereum as an example. Same for Bitcoin, same for like any other value proposition. So I think, you're going to see Asian blockchains. You're going to see Arab blockchains, okay? And European South American blockchains. So there are going to be not thousands, or that's my perspective, not hundreds, but maybe tens. Like you, you're going to have like these three, four, five regional, regional thing. And I think they're going to be cross blockchain stuff and it's going to be like inter, interoperability stuff. But I think you're going to have more than what a lot of people think just because of that, because some would grow and once they exist, they already exist. They like get into the real world and now you have a bunch of them. So I definitely see a multi-chain universe like we're heading to. The mm -hmm. question is, is that, I used to think it's going to be like five, seven and I'm thinking like maybe 20, 30. That's how I view it. What do you think? I. I think we've kind of gotten to the point where this is proven and makes sense um, that, you know, if you can have another blockchain, you will have another blockchain. Um, you know, people are going to continue creating things because everyone has ideas and that's why there's thousands of them listed on CoinMarketCap. <laughs> um, now they're not all going to be successful. That's absurd, but you know, there will probably be a standard subset, maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 that are very widely used and popular and the rest become fairly irrelevant. I think that's a likely future in terms of blockchains. Um, that makes sense to me. But I mean, that number could be higher, it could be lower, but I think you really see that today in 
cryptocurrencies. Um, and I think that's a testament to where blockchain is going, in my opinion. Like, if you use them all for different things, like if you want to hold a cryptocurrency that holds its value very well, you probably hold Bitcoin. If you want something that's fast and that banks like, you probably hold Ripple. If you want something that's fast and decentralized, you hold Dash. If you want something with upside potential, you hold Litecoin. If you want something that gives you a degree of privacy and anonymity, you probably hold Zcash and Monero. Um, and that those all those are very strongly in the top 10, 15, top 20, very popular and are used every single day for transactional purposes. I think the same thing is coming overall for blockchain in terms of what you want to do and build. Um, so I think there'll be a wide diversity. I think it's very unlikely that, you know, we'll have one blockchain that kind of rules them all. It's possible, but very unlikely. I, I, I agree. It's, I think it's very unlikely. Yeah. Um, I think that's a well, good place. This was, this, yeah, that, that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> I think it's a good place to wrap it up because I do have to get going uh, to some other things, but um, Yuri, thank you for you know coming on and having this conversation. It was a lot of fun, um, and I think a lot of people will will definitely enjoy it, and I'll have it out. Um, actually, I'll probably try and have it out tomorrow if I can get to. Oh, it. nice! That's very that's very productive and effective of you. Well, it's it's been fun being here, so thanks for having me. Yeah, um, um, and thanks. Like like the, this was super cool. Yeah, anytime. Let me know if you ever want to come back on. Happy to have you. Oh, sure. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, just um, by the way. Feel free to reach out for anything, like regardless, like whatever, anything. Just like, you know, feel free. Cool. Sounds good. If I could be ever helpful. Have a good one, man. Thanks Absolutely. for having me. Have a good Bye. day. Bye.